Happy Tuesday. Welcome back to Deconstructing the Myth Season 3, a season full of conversations about how to move forward with life during and after deconstruction. My guest today is Esther Getz, known online as the Dolly Mama and co-host of the Deconstructing Mamas podcast. We had such a refreshing chat about her deconstruction journey and how it has impacted so many personal and professional aspects of her life. Well, I'm so excited today to have Esther Getz on the show, who is the co-host, co-creator of Deconstructing Mamas. Am I saying that correctly? Sure. Is that true? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) And I think like audio engineer, all the, the, you do a lot of behind the scenes for it, I believe, from what you said. But anyway, I found you through that podcast, Deconstructing Mamas, and I heard your episode, I believe, from season one. I believe that's right. It's been a minute. And I was so intrigued with your story and intrigued with, you know, the content that you put out online, both for Deconstructing Mamas and your own. Is it Dolly, Dolly Mama? The Dolly Mama. Yes. <laughs> so I'm so excited that you're on the show. And yeah, I think we're going to have a lot of great things to talk about today. But to start with, could you just tell us a little bit about you as a person? Um, as a, I sound like I'm on your show now as a mother. Um, but a mother. yeah, as a as a spiritual being, I guess. Tell us about you. As a being. Sure. Thanks for having me on. This is so fun. Yes. So um, just to give a little background, I was raised as a missionary kid, evangelical, very evangelical. <laughs> um, and I was born in Ethiopia. So that's kind of out of the box a little bit. I grew up there until I was in high school. And then we moved back to where I live now in the great state of New Jersey. <laughs> I love New Jersey, but anyhow, that's where I live. And I raised, I became like a, a very average Christian mom of four kids who did all the very American (laughs) Christian mom things. Okay. Um, that included like church and youth group and making sure they behaved and not, you know, some toxic stuff there, which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, I have been married to the same man. We say we have three marriages, but all to the same person, if that makes sense. Um, I love that. Over three decades to like the same guy. He actually shares my passion for people, but we couldn't be more different in our core personalities. If you know the Enneagram. I do. You're an eight, right? Yes. So I'm like passionate, a justice warrior, trying to make the world right fighting for, you know, goodness and healing. And he is a nine, which is like the peacemaker. He's gentle. He's kind. He's analytical. And I'm like passionate, but, but we make it work because we both do have the core passion of people, which is helpful. So I raised my kids I call them four grownish and flownish kids because like just yesterday we moved our one son back home in between apartments. So they kind of grow and fly and then they come back and land and nest for a bit. And you know, (laughs) that's how it is. But they, and I have um, like a few significant others in that mix. And then I do have a little grandson who's five. So I live in New Jersey. And like you said, I, I, I'm a writer, I'm an author, but I do co-host the Deconstructing Mamas podcast that we had you on. Yay. It was such a fun episode. It was fun. (laughs) And I do watch first responder shows. I don't know why, but that's what I do. (laughs) Are you talking about like, like dramas? Oh my gosh. I don't know what it is. I thought it was like crime shows with dead bodies, but it's like any stupid first responder (laughs) show, like ER, Grey's Anatomy, Blue Bloods. I just like any, I don't, and I don't know. It's, it's just an obsession (laughs) I have. And I, and I like potato chips and milk while I'm watching those. Uh, It's very strange. It's like a whole thing. This is like a ritual. (laughs) It is. It's like one of my best uh, rituals I brought from pre-deconstructing into post-deconstructing. I still do the same. (laughs) So it must be like my true self. It is. Some things are worth keeping. (laughs) And the potato chips and milk are. (laughs) Right. But but like mostly my goal is to spread, this is my little tagline, hope and healing Mm, to those who have been harmed by... Any kind of toxic system, religion, whatever it is out there that's harmed you, um, I, you know, there's a lot of systemic stuff out there, and I just want to bring a little hope and healing. 
Yeah. To your, to where, what does I say? To where your heart and your home meet. How about that? Yes. Nice (laughs) ring to it. And also you do that. I really feel like you do that online with the things you post. So mission accomplished. (laughs) But keep doing it. Like we need more of it. Uh, But I do think that you embody that very well. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Can you tell us, uh, so let's get back to Missionary Kid, because I remember when I heard this episode from you, I was like, I don't even know if I know any actual missionary kids. And then to have a deconstructed missionary kid, I was like, this is fascinating. Um, And I know that that story from being a kid to be now could take us, you know, so long to, to talk about in the nuance it deserves. But could you give us kind of the Sparks Notes version of what was it like being in Ethiopia, you know, buying all in from what I understood, and then uh, what's it look like now? Yeah, so yes, I'm a real life MK. I grew up in <laughs> war, ravaged Ethiopia, born there. Parents, very evangelical. Our mission was to save people from hell. Mm. And when I was 12, so there was a civil war. We had to like leave. It was like not okay to be there anymore. Mm. And when I moved to the United States, I was told by my, this is going to date me, high school born againers leadership. Ooh. Woo, that was what? called High BA. We actually had like a little group. Um, and like my high school friends were like, my high school friends were like, you're reborn? What is, what? What is this? Anyway, the whole born again word. Yes. <laughs> Big in the 80s, the born again word. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was told I had the gift of evangelism. Mm. Yay for that. So it was my job, not only my parents' job to keep people out of hell, it was now my job. Boy, did I embrace that. I became yeah. like a super Bible nerd because I figured the Bible was the way to go. Um, I was on a Bible quiz team that was like nationally ranked. I mean, literally, I think you and I are like, I don't know, sisters from another mother in this (laughs) vein. We would have been best days. We would have been. I mean, (laughs) you're an apologetics person and I didn't even know what that was, but in my core, I wanted to know like, once saved, always saved. Yeah, what was yeah. this like Calvinist thing? I mean, crazy, weird, very nerdy high schooler. Yes. Um, and then, yeah. of course, I got to college. All hell broke loose. I like started to do all the like fun backslidden things, but quickly reined myself in with guilt and fear. You know, those lovely things. Um, yeah. And I transferred <laughs> colleges because I had gotten out of control and then I went to a very, very Christian university where I did all the Christian things in college. Once again, I became a discipleship leader and an RA. And then after that, became a wife and a mom in a very conservative church. I bought into that formula of if I'm just XYZ, perfect mom, perfect wife, I'll have perfect children. Yes, until, right? <laughs> until. Yeah, until you find out, like, you're a little bit of a liar, your husband's addicted oh, to pornography, your teenagers are, like, doing pot, you know, all that lovely stuff, yeah. and your formula falls apart. And all of that, I say, were terrible gifts that were given to me. Like, you don't mm. think they're gifts in the moment, but they're great gifts, because your formula, your black and white thinking, all that crazy stuff blows to smithereens. Yeah. yeah. And then you have to start asking some serious questions. Wow. <laughs> right? Um, I mean, I, what happened to me was I, I loved my people more than I loved my tidied religious beliefs. Hmm. I loved my son who was really struggling with, you know, some addictions. Like, I don't know if you would call them addictions, some substance abuse issues. Okay. And it, he didn't really fit in this, like, do it all right and make everybody old make all the right choices. Mm. And I loved my husband, even though he, you know, was struggling with pornography and like, I still viewed him as like a very godly man, even though he had this massive struggle. And then I found out like, oh my gosh, I can lie about stuff all the time 
And I still think like Jesus loves me. So what do you do? Am I going to hell now? What's going on? Is my son going to hell? Is my husband going to hell? So a friend of mine, who I was a friend of mine at church, believe it or not, my very conservative church, was like, why do you love hell so much? Like, what is up What an interesting <laughs> statement. <laughs> and he was like, why are you so worried about it? Why do you love it so much? Why are you trying yeah. to keep everybody out of it? I mean, because like, mm-hmm. what am I supposed to do? I didn't even know if I could keep myself out of it at that point, right? Because yeah. I was like a walking contradiction, right? My husband was, my son was. My world blew up. So, yeah. And that was like crazy, that question. Yeah. 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 So I started to listen to the Bible for normal people. Shout out. And I started to read Richard Rohr and some Rachel Held Evans. Whoa. Crazy Mm. stuff. And then, you know how it goes when you start down the slippery slope. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You uh, start asking more questions. And a friend of mine, because remember COVID lockdown? I know it's like three years ago. Which is wild. Yeah. And I think a lot of this happened to people right during COVID lockdown. Uh, A friend of mine was like, want to read Untamed by Glennon Doyle? And I was like, didn't she leave her husband for a woman? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And she was like, yeah, but this book is like blowing my mind. And I was like, okay. And so we create, I created a little book club. My daughter's actually... We're like, can I read it? Can we be in that? And I was like, okay. <laughs> I was freaking out a little. But um, I was like, my heart, my mind was just like, woo. And then that book and that book club, like my heart was uh, like blown wide open. And actually out of that whole book club came our Deconstructing Mamas podcast because my co-host is Liz Enns Petters, who's Pete Enns' daughter from Bible for Normal yeah. People. She was in that book club too. And uh, that was where our podcast was born. So I've kind of like gone, boom, off the slippery slope. And now I feel like I call it the water slide that leads to life. A little bit like just a little bit crazy. (laughs) No, but it's so good. It's so, like I said, you are, especially on your podcast, I find your voice so valuable because, you know, I, I feel like the deconstruction realm that I see a lot, and this actually shows up. Um, in my podcast demographics, I'd actually be interested if yours are different, but it's kind of this predominantly millennial age range on my podcast. Um, And it's people, you know, in the same space as me and your podcast is extremely helpful for people with children, especially, but I'm like, Esther's voice is really helpful because you are someone who has had children and then gone through this and has seen things we haven't all seen and has, in, I don't know, I think your insight is really valuable in a different way than I hear a lot, if that makes sense. I think yeah. some of that is um, that you guys are my kids' ages. Like, I have a yeah. daughter with a, a grandson, right? So I think some of it is that you've been through it. You've experienced what it's like to have toxic religious, you know, systems and the tr- trauma. I also experienced trauma, but didn't have any idea that it was trauma, right? I just Mm, had zero idea. I didn't have the words for it. So I always tout your generation more than my own. Uh, I've learned, like, I'm a big millennial fan. Like, I don't think that there's a generation that has taught me more, believe it or not. Interesting, yeah. I'm a Gen Xer. I'm like, I'm the, and we always say the Gen Xers are like the middle child. (laughs) We like, see the points of like the older people like yeah we get it we get hard work we get all your stuff we get that but man we we like get what's going on from the younger group too so I feel like that I see both sides I spent my years as a mom especially of teens and and now young adults learning from the my kids like they've been my greatest teachers Hmm. and I've seen it work yeah (laughs) like I've seen that way work better so how could you not begin to ask questions of and plus I saw it harming my kids and Hmm. you know how you love your which you're not supposed to but you kind of love your kids almost more than yourself (laughs) and you know and you would you don't And like the harm that comes to you is like, okay, but then you see harm come to your kids and you're like, 
No. No, not. I don't yeah. I don't, I don't <laughs> like that. <laughs> I don't like that my daughter's freaking out because you know, she just got called a chewed up piece of gum in mm. in her youth group. No, no, no. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. You know, or or was made to be afraid that she would be a chewed up piece. You know, whatever. Yeah. Like, no, that's not okay. So like I said earlier, like I loved my people more than I loved my systems. Mm. Which I'm happy about. Yeah, yeah. And which... <laughs> Christianity often or evangelical Christianity will say "Mm, well then that's not good enough and then that's why we're in this mess we're in because I think I don't I'd love to hear your thoughts on this when I look at how Jesus actually interacted with people I'm thinking he did care about the people more than the system and yet how we've processed it of course within a religion is the flip-flop of that so I don't know just really interesting yeah yeah, mm-hmm. having to do that within a religion is very interesting because I know for me, I still very much uh, love Jesus, the person of Jesus. I'm kind of a follower of Jesus, but everything has, I couldn't really always reconcile who Jesus was with the faith that I was experiencing kind of in American evangelical Christianity. I'm like, yeah. we're supposed to love everyone, but then we're also supposed to be mad at them for what they're doing. God's supposed to love everybody, but he's sending a whole bunch of people to hell. Like I'm so, you know, like I, I didn't see that wasn't, and then it comes to your kids and then you're like, are my kids going to go to hell because they didn't get baptized or say the magic prayer or whatever weird incantation that was (laughs) said at, you know, said to keep you out of that place. So it just was, it became, it started out like, this became more about like managing everybody's behavior than actual love. And I think that's the, mm. what Jesus was saying, right? In the, in the New Testament, when he came, he was like, you guys are trying to manage everybody's behavior. Mm. Uh, it's really about the weightier matters of the law, like love and mercy and justice. Yeah. And you're like worrying about whether or not you can tithe your spices. So mm. there's that. You know, I love, I feel like Jesus is the great deconstructor, right? Oh, yeah. Of those systems of political and religious, just the toxic nonsense that was harming people. Yeah. And yeah. that's a Jesus like I can so get on board with and that sort of feels like it fits with loving well mm. and loving my kids well, loving my friends well, right? Yeah. So that's where I can still sort of hold on to oh, how do I even say Christianity or really yeah. Jesus for me yeah. um, and Christianity with, and, and that doesn't exclude even other great teachers like um, Gandhi and Nelson yeah. Mandela and Sue Monkid and Rachel yeah. Held Evans and, you know, and, and like um, the Dalai Lama kind of named after him and my Dalai <laughs> Lama. You know, there's just so many, so much wisdom out there that we can, we can, um, that Jesus was probably would be on board with himself. So, yeah, I love that. And I think actually it's interesting how you approach the idea of Christianity because that's, you know, people who are still within uh, the framework will say, well, it's easy. You either are or you aren't. But I think for so many of us, it's like, well, or I don't know if you would say this. There's times where I've been like, well, of course I'm still a Christian. And then I'm realizing you, someone else does not think the same thing as I do when I say that. So do I, how do I identify with the place I started and reconcile that with the place I am? I don't know if you've, I'm sure actually you've probably felt that since you still do identify with Jesus. But I think titles are such a, you know, trying to define it is such an interesting thing now that people who are on this side of it you know, we don't care so much. Like, why do we have to define it? I, I don't know. I'm just right, because, kind of spitballing. But yeah, yeah. I think de- yeah, I think defining it is part of that black and white thinking, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I am this, I am not this. And that's just saying, like, please put me in this box. And to be in this weird place where you're, you don't really want to be in a box yeah. um, and you don't want to put other people in a box. It's very interesting, but you still want community and you want to find other like-minded people And so it gets very, very tricky, but I don't want to bring my former self of that like black and white thinking way over here again, where I'm just as fundamentalist on this side about 
even things like I'm a progressive Christian because that we all know what that means. That means you're LGBTQ affirming. That means that you're a Democrat or whatever. It's like all those things. Like I find that everywhere where I'm like, I am in this weird, messy middle of I call myself like a boho Christian sometimes. Oh, I like that. <laughs> like, I'm a little boho, uh, you know, because it ties in emotional, yeah. and spiritual healing, and, and uh, being myself, and oh, yeah. but I love Jesus. And, but I think that's the beauty of this path is um, my mission is for others to be completely themselves, like, mm. and the most healed version of that. And that's the gift we can give to each other. I think I said that at the end of my podcast where I was on my own podcast. Yeah. That's like my mission is to be myself and to help you be yourself. Mm. And so that's going to look different for yeah. seven plus billion people. Yeah, right. <laughs> Well, and I don't even think that contradicts, you know, even people in the Christian framework, even the traditional Christian framework, if we believe we're made in God's image, then to be yourself is God honoring. But, you know, that gets mixed up with original sin and stuff. And people are like, no, 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 I need to get rid of myself. But I don't think so. I think you can actually make, I don't like using the term biblical case, but I, I really think you can to say being yourself Wherever you land after that, you can still be, you know, a Christian, but being yourself is God honoring. And I, I I don't know, just a tangent, small tangent for me, but I love the work that you do. And I love that you are seeking to help people do that more and more. So I love that biblical. Let's go to that really quickly. (laughs) I do think there is a mat because we're such Bible nerds. I think there's such a massive (laughs) biblical case for that. I, I never saw Jesus say, be something else. Like I get a little worked up about the beatitudes sometimes, like be this, be that. And like, even like the B attitude, somebody said in Sunday school once. And then I heard one of my favorite authors who probably was a fairly conservative Christian, but his name was Dallas Willard and he's Mm -hmm. dead now. But he said, they're just Jesus saying, you're blessed, whoever you are, you're blessed Mm -hmm. wherever you are. And blessing isn't based on all of these external things. like being right or good or deemed appropriate by society. You can be blessed whether or not you're poor. You can be blessed whether or not you're suffering. You can be blessed whether or not you're meek or whatever. You can be blessed Mm. for all. There's no limitation to blessing. And I love that take on it. It was like, oh my gosh, that's just flipping the Bible passage around to from behavior management. He calls it the gospel of sin management to transformational love where God is pouring out his blessing on whoever you are wow, and wherever you are. And I'm like, I love it. So yeah, he was actually one of my first helps in kind of seeing scripture and the Bible so differently. Mm. And um, uh, yeah, so I love that. Yes, I think there's a major biblical case. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I love that take. What was his name again? Da- Dallas? His name is Dallas Willard. He's passed okay. on, but man, he's brilliant. I mean, absolutely brilliant. And he does a, he has a book called um, The Divine Conspiracy. And it's a very oh. philosophical and heady book. It took me a long time. But he has a chapter called The Gospel of Sin Management. And it changed every, flipped everything on its head for me. And that was sort of the beginnings of my deconstruction was, is it all about right behavior and right beliefs? Hmm. So, yeah, that's really interesting. So, yeah, I love that. Well, and I I don't know. I just, I think that, you know, we don't realize, well, you tell me if this is how you were. There's things we're taught. We're like, it's, it's not dependent on you. You know, it's a free gift of God. And yet the practical way that plays out and how we receive things in the system, it's so dependent on me doing the right thing, believing the right thing, even believing the right thing. That's the hardest thing to do because you can't actually make yourself believe things you don't believe. You know, I, I I know I could go on. I know. It is interesting to me um, how a lot of times it's said like, oh, we don't have to do anything, but you have to say this prayer or Mm. you have to trust. They always say we're trusting in God, but I do think you're trusting in your interpretation of who God is. And so you're still, 
you're still trusting yourself, which is so interesting. Oh, and wow, yeah. that's where, that's where you have to do a lot of mental gymnastics. Like I had to do so many mental gymnastics to like stay in the old way of thinking. Mm, like I didn't, I felt so disintegrated because I would lie in bed at night and be like, huh, I don't know. This isn't, yeah. but then I would talk myself back to yeah, like, oh my gosh, if you do that, you're going to be going like using that little fear and guilt card on myself. You are going to send your kids to eternal oh, conscious man. torment and maybe yourself and others and your you know. So you walk yourself back out of that stuff. Yeah. Oh <sighs> so much pressure. Oh my gosh. Well, that's a good segue then. So you are passionate about talking from about moving from fear to love. And so I wanted to get into that a little bit with you. How, what do you mean about that? Um, especially concerning people who are in deconstruction. Yeah. So one of the core, you know how there's certain things where someone would say to you, well, what started your deconstruction, right? Like, and you can't really pinpoint it, but Mm -hmm. now you have kind of a different, maybe core value system that Mm -hmm. drove it all. Um, and for me, one of the core movements and shifts that actually took place in my own heart was being pushed by fear and the, and the toxic beliefs that work, like they work really hard to like get your nervous system working and creating chaos and then stirring up scarcity, all that. Like Mm. I was really good at that. Right. But that was what I was driven by and like pushed by that fear. Um, and I've shifted more where my core value now is to being led by love. Like, and I've come to believe things that are the opposite. They kind of hopefully bring calm and peace. And then instead of chaos, like integration and wholeness and not like the mental gymnastics. And then um, instead of scarcity, like a spirit of generosity, like God's big enough for all of this. And there is enough love to go around and no one is left out and all that stuff. So that's like that. That's like the driving shift. Yeah. Like, and I, and, and so like going from fear, having a nervous breakdown in my late thirties, that, that kind of helped. (laughs) That was another terrible gift. Wow. I'm really driven by fear to the point that I, I'm not functioning to what's, what is going to heal me and the people around me. And really what happened to me was the people who brought healing to my life were loving, were like, loved me right where I was. Um, didn't have an agenda for me and I was, I was okay. I was already accepted and loved by them. And like, I think like an example of this, when it comes to deconstructing, let's just take hell. We've started to talk about hell. Let's take hell. Um, I cannot find an at its core. I cannot find any, I've tried it from every angle, find any way that the doctrine of hell is not driven by fear. I just can't find any way. So it's like the fear of punishment, the fear of God, the fear of being separated from your loved ones, you know, on and on and on. At its core, it's like, we're going to scare you about the afterlife. And that's why I was like a crazy evangelist because I was really afraid for my, my people. And hopefully, I think maybe way down deep inside, my deeper core was love. Since I like, I believe now, like I came from love and I held in love and I'm going to love. So I I would think like I was being held in love, even underneath all of that. Um, But like often, and that's where it gets tricky and weird. Um, Love, in the other hand, is like means you have no agenda for people. You cheer them on to be completely themselves. And so when I look at what was really going on inside of my evangelism and my fear was I was trying to assuage my own fear about them and not, it wasn't really about them. It was more about me being like, well, at least I told you, phew, I told them it's not my fault anymore. I've done my part. Now I don't have to be afraid. I'm I'm not afraid. Or if they said the magic prayer, which happened quite a bit because I was such a good evangelist, 
Yay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, then I would, I wouldn't be afraid anymore. Like I, I remember my like eight year old holding my four year old down in the back of the car and being like, say the magic prayer, say the magic mm. prayer. And he was like, okay, if it's going to make you feel better, I'll say it. Yeah. You know, and so it just gets like super tricky. Like, does. where does fear end and love begin? Mm. Um, but I know, like, I know for me, my preaching and evangelism was definitely seemed like it was coming from a good place, but it was actually coming from like this weird agenda controlling place that wasn't actually who I was deep down inside. Yeah. So that's that's like where I would say it's played out kind of in the deconstructing land, you know, like, yeah. and that, that ends up, that ends up changing like everything about your life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like for me, it changed like my, my marriage, my parenting as, and I'm a deconstructing mama. Right. And as to the Dolly mom, like mm -hmm. I finally could like parent without like crippling anxiety because I wasn't like so worried about my kids going to hell. Like I could just love them and like be come alongside them and be with them where they were. And like, so it changed that it changed my friendships. Cause instead of like my neighbor being like a Jewish person, I was like, Oh my gosh, I better mm. preach. I could just be friends with her and bring her like, you know, a cup of sugar or like I could borrow like, you know, yeah. um, oregano if I didn't have it. And then we could just be in relation. You can just be in relationship with people instead of having this like, underlying fear yeah <laughs> yeah it I have never really thought about that very interesting relationship between love and fear but as you were talking I was thinking you know it is such an interesting phenomenon how in this evangelical system in particular when you love someone deeply yes you try to save their soul you try to do all these things that actually often stops you from seeing them and helping them with what they actually need in the moment. And it's like, why do we do that? And I wonder if it's because love is so strong that when it's traumatized, maybe it's like more susceptible to fear than anything, you know, or, or maybe unresolved traumatized love. What an interesting phrase. But I, I just was thinking about this. Like we don't fear things. We don't fear for things we don't care that much about. Do you know what no. I mean? And so, yeah, that's why it's so tricky. It is tricky. I mean, it's very tricky to uncouple those two things. Yeah. And having raised my kids and just going down the mom route for a second, yeah. like my kids can tell when I'm being driven by fear. I use mm. a little bit of guilt, like, oh my gosh, go see your grandmother because what are people going to think of me and my parenting because she's going to die? You know, yeah. they can see it where I, differently than when I just sit and hold space for where they are and what they're struggling with. And I know like fear works. I mean, I can, I can use fear and it works in the short term, but the damage it does in the long term, and, and sort of the manipulation that comes out of it, right? Like, yeah. Oh, like I think about, I mean, just in relation to children, Oh, you know, d don't go out in the street because like, I'm too afraid for you. And then it limits their ability to explore. That's just mm. a simple way of, yeah. I mean, we do, our job is to keep people safe, right? Yeah. But like my, my job as a, as a mother of grown children is not to keep my kids safe. Yeah. I mean, like they are responsible for their own safety, but mm. they can, they almost watch me change and they know I have this mantra <laughs> <laughs> and they'll literally call me out like, oh mom, it seems like, you know, you're really afraid. Oh, wow. <laughs> and like now I'm being guilted. Is this another like, yeah. one of those terrible gifts? <laughs> Is having them use your yeah, mantra? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. It's so, yeah. But I, I like, I like what I hope it means. Like for my kids, for all my people, when I'm driven, like when I'm led by love is that people feel safe mm. to be right where they are. And allows them to be that. And I do see that as the way of Jesus, like the way yeah. of actual inside out healing and transformation and freedom. Yeah. I, I don't, I mean, I don't, I see short term fixes um, used with fear. I mean, if you held a gun to my head, I would totally deny Jesus right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not going to be one of those people that's not denying him. I'm like, yep. You've already him. thought <laughs> about it. You already know. <laughs> 
I mean, sorry, I would deny my kids. I mean, you know, if you hold a gun to my head, I'm going to do whatever I can to make myself safe in the moment. Um, Well, and we would want our kids to do the same. I think that's something that's important. Like we say, oh, God wants you to not. I'm like, if someone did that to my kid and said, hey, deny that you love your mom. I'm like, you better be denying me. Deny. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like I am more concerned about your well-being than that you honored me till the end or something, you know? And it's like, we don't make that connection. Anyway, I've thought about this too. Isn't it weird to think that (laughs) we would believe in a God that would say, I would rather you honor me than I am concerned about your well-being. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, that's disgusting. I'm sorry. I'm going to, I'm going to, my Enneagram AIDS off is coming. That That is, I mean, that is horrific. And that is what so many were traumatized with. There is a God who's basically a narcissist who Mm. cares more about their honor than your well-being. To me, that does not seem like love at all. And that certainly Mm. doesn't track with Jesus. We're good. good. We're not doing that to our own kids. Hey, don't ruin the get's name. Don't (laughs) deny our, you know, I mean, like, if yeah. I was concerned with my honor more than the well-being of my children, everyone in the world would say, you are a very narcissistic mother. Yeah. Yet this is exactly what we attribute to God. So, <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. I have a really off the cuff question then in regard to that, um, because you were a missionary kid and I don't know how all that panned out for you, but when my parents were very interested in missionaries and we would like look at what was happening a lot and all the terrible, you know, things that could happen to you if you were a missionary. And I remember kind of thinking, you know, oh, that is, you know, kind of the highest honor to have this sort of persecution and this sort of, you know, and to give your life would be like the highest honor. And I've almost felt this strange guilt I didn't expect as I've stepped back and looked at martyrs even that are, you know, famous. And I'm like, I don't know that that was the right choice. I don't think so. And I've had to sit and talk to God and be like, you need to tell me, we need to figure this out. But I right now would not do that. I don't think that's the most God honoring thing I could do with my life. And I think you would agree. And it's just this very interesting, uh, like, I don't know, a weird disconnect. Because as a kid, I almost tried to train myself to think like, yes, this is the ultimate good. This is the ultimate way to honor God. So I'm, I'm just wondering as a missionary kid, if there was any of that mindset there for you um, and if it was kind of strange to outgrow that or, or put that aside at all. Yeah. It's so interesting that you're saying this because, oh, this is so horrible. My daughter was actually taken in youth group with her thumb zip tied behind oh her gosh. head to a penitentiary, like an, like a, oh, like as what? a youth group function to, ha- to pretend they were the persecuted okay. church. But oh, still, I mean, and I look at <laughs> I look at that now and and I'm just horrified because wow. I don't think that it's a problem that people were martyred. I do think it was yeah. a pro- I do think it's a problem. I think about Jesus. Yeah. People are going to be killed when they ruffle feathers yeah. and when they speak against the status quo. People mm-hmm. are going to be killed. But I think what we've done well what we've done as say toxic Christianity is held them up in this high regard that this is what we all need to be prepared for, that somehow that's better. Instead of just what's true, we've moralized it. It's kind of like, it's true that people were really loved Jesus and for whatever their personal conviction were, didn't want to deny him or whatever and felt very strongly about that. But that doesn't mean that's good. Yeah. Like it's the same way with the cross. Just because Jesus was killed by toxic religious and political systems because he spoke out against them Mm. doesn't mean it was good. Interesting. This was horrific and horrible. Mm -hmm. We don't do that. We're not striving for this. This is wrong. We don't happen. 
No. Yes, it should not happen. It's not like, oh, great, you get to go be a missionary and give your life for Christ. I mean, and the harm that comes from just giving your life for Christ, period, and then your children are placed on that altar. I mean, I, I, we could have a whole episode on the harm that comes from your children being placed on the altar of God. Uh, I mean, but of course, I was told yeah. that, to quote the biblical thing, you know, like, I'm like Isaac. You know? Oh, my God. Like, God, my parents love God more than me, and blah, blah, blah. So yeah. that that's probably why I deconstructed the story of Abraham. <laughs> That, let me tell you, we did an episode on deconstructing that passage this last season, and I have never actually been bothered by that because he doesn't actually do it, I think. And when we went back and deconstructed it, it was the most sobering episode in so many ways for me because I thought I have internalized so many things about the story as good, as godly, as faithfulness, and not even questioned them till now. And it was unreal how that is informing our our ideas of what it means to be a person of faith that's like i i don't even know it's just so crazy to me right and missionary kids whoever pastors kids whoever it is you know you are isaac you are Mm. sacrificed on the altar of spreading the gospel or whatever it is people do that all the time i mean people sacrifice their kids all the time on whatever toxic system they're a part of but i I felt like, oh, I'm honored to be Isaac, you know. It's yeah, like, yeah. okay. <laughs> and I would be honored if God so decided to kill my parents or me or whatever. I mean, I was, oh, it's a long story because I was also in war. So it, yeah. coup- you know, it's hard to uncouple all of that. <laughs> it was also but, like more of a reality, not just a thought experiment. And or not, a, yeah, but like more maybe of a possibility in the world you existed in. Oh, than 100%. Like someone in America. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And I, I mean, there were lots of, I mean, I knew my, I had friends, parents who were killed. I mean, it's just, you know, and it was touted as, oh, we're giving our lives for the gospel. And that's, that's just, it's very hard to, you know, unravel all of that. But like, I think for me, and I'm right now actually in the process of um, becoming a spiritual director. I do think like that, that fear, that constant fear versus the being led by love. I hope that I bring that that, um, you know, all my experiences say as being a girl who grew up in a fear, you know, was pushed by it, fell apart because of it. And now in beginning as we all are and going on a journey of being led by love, um, you know, is kind of really goes into anybody I would direct spiritually at this point, because I do think that that is, um, what I need in my own life. And I think, fear thwarts me, you know, on the path to be myself, my true self. Mm -hmm. And I do think that love will help me to do that for myself and others. Like I, I'm so big on this fear love thing. I mean, it it is a very, and not that you're constantly analyzing yourself all the time, yeah. but, um, just reflecting like, Oh, where is this really coming from inside of me? It's a good question for me to constantly ask, and yeah. when I go to scripture, is this something being led by, pushed by fear or led by love, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's so good. That's so good for us to think about because I think, yeah, especially if, like we said earlier, if you, if, if you start out in a place of love, you are more susceptible to fear sometimes. Yes. And so to be able to dissect again and get back to the root is probably so very helpful. Yeah. I mean, and that is wild that you know people who lost their parents in this martyrdom sort of way, I suppose, or, or killed for trying to, you know, witness. And I think that actually ties into this question that I wanted to discuss with you about grief. Um, and granted they had a different kind of grief. A lot of us have grief though, on a much maybe smaller level of losing things for God or for this belief. And then sometimes realizing later there was too much lost or the wrong things were lost or, you know, there was something abusive or toxic about, about that. So just concerning the broad, broad topic of grief in deconstruction, I really wanted to talk to you about how you have experienced that, what you've learned from it, um, and how it relates to finding real belonging. Yeah. I love this question so much. Um, I think that grief was one of my biggest surprises when it came to deconstructing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, because I was a missionary kid, obviously the, an entire community, we had an entire community, um, of people that I grew up with. And then I entered into a church where I had, you know, I just morphed that into church, but like I have a, a worldwide kind of clan who gets it. Um, my parents' mission organization, all the people that were involved there. So very tight knit. And, um, I was touted as the, you know, the good child, the great, the, the person who is the evangelist, the person who is going to carry on this beautiful tradition. Um, and of course became in church leadership, you know, spreading the gospel, making disciples, mentoring people, all that stuff. So I think grief is a weird surprise (laughs) for me. Um, and I knew I would like maybe lose my community and I understood that. And that was okay for me because I was beginning to build a different kind of community, but I actually didn't know how much the us, them mindset pervaded the culture I left. If that makes sense. Like I didn't really realize that I was always one of the us and that us, them mindset was pretty strong. And so as soon as you leave, you become a them. Interesting. And it feels so odd to understand what it feels like to be on the outside and excluded. It's the most bizarre thing like I'm like oh now I'm the people I'm the person people are praying for I'm the backslidden I'm the black sheep I used to be the person who is now praying for me (laughs) that's so wild yeah wow but the strangest thing I I hated I I really and I I grieve this every day and it happened again just even today right before the podcast uh Mm. was was uh, being recorded I've actually lost like other people's respect of me Um, like I had been touted, like I said, as a spiritual leader, everybody could trust their lives, their children, all these people. And now I'm kind of being touted as like someone you can't really trust anymore because I'm leading people astray and away from God. Oh, wow. And like, you know, my, your entire life, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners can relate. You're probably the person who the core of who you are is to like lead others toward God, toward life and toward love. And you think you're doing that. And then it's strange that others think like you're doing the exact opposite. Yeah, opposite. Yeah. But like oh. it, it does cause me to sort of dig deeper a little bit to like really reveal, like really understand the core of who I am and to hold fast to like that thing that was placed in me, which I do think was deeper than fear, which I think is love. Like I said before, and I will do that to the best way I know how to help other people find God uh, life, love, and themselves. Um, and and then I have to trust the process that, that love will win in the end. I mean, I do really, I've always believed love will win in the end. I think love is stronger than anything, so I have to trust that process play out. But, um, yeah, like, it's just, it, it comes from grief. Like, just even today I found out that someone mentioned me in a book and, oh, like, pulled something wow. out of context. And, you know, like, it just is a hard, hard thing to be like, you are actually like leading others astray. Mm. And I'm like, oh, it's just a weird thing inside of you where you're like, oh, but I, if you only knew me, like, no, 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 no. Like, I love, I want people to like find God in themselves. Like I want, I I want them to find love and life and healing. And, oh, you're telling me I'm like. I'm doing the, so that's just, it's just weird. That's why I, I do feel like, um, the, the biggest thing I like, if I've learned through this whole process of like deconstructing and the grief and all this is, um, and I'm actually writing a memoir because it's so interesting about like my missionary kid war torn story and what I'm mm-hmm. doing. But I, yeah. I, I abandoned so much, like I should have been grieving over what I abandoned. I actually grieve now too over all the the my, the self that I abandoned for so long, hmm. right on the yeah. altar of so many things. I mean, I abandoned myself, and so like my memoir is like, how do I undo all of that to yeah. a place where I embrace myself, right? Where hmm. I, and yeah. it all goes back to the book Untamed, where she says, "I am till death do us part." Oh wow! And I'm like, okay. No one else, this person who wrote this book, the Joe Blow over there, my kids, my my um, partner, anybody, like the evangelical leader, actually the crazy 
angry atheists now, you know, the people on all the sides, like I said, they don't know who I am. They yeah. don't live with me. They were not born. They have not experienced everything I have. They're not going to. They're not going to be with me. And mm -hmm. so the person I really have to embrace is myself. Mm -hmm. And the person I really belong to is myself. Like, mm -hmm. And because I feel very strongly about God still, I feel like me and God are all intertwined in this beautiful mess. Yeah, you know, so I've come from love, God, source, whatever, divine. And I'm all intertwined in that. And it's just a beautiful, big, beautiful, sacred mess. <laughs> I love that. Well, and I also am thinking, you know, you and others I've interviewed who have deconstructed and have become these wayward supposedly people. It's like we, you are known as the leader before. And that's a thing I wish people understood. So often this happens. The people that are really digging are really respected for looking at the deep stuff and really you know take their faith seriously when they deconstruct it's like can the world not see can the or i shouldn't say the world but can can the church not see this person is doing this precisely because they were that because yes. they took it seriously because they've looked very deeply you know, right. and they can't see it yet i think history will tell like history in history after we're long gone I think the progression is going to be, you know, the rest of the church is going to catch up or dissolve <laughs> for some of these things that you yeah. especially tout. And it's just, it's hard because in the moment, you know, the, the clarity isn't there for everyone, but I just, you know, in many ways you are a pioneer and the problem is at some point people, they, they aren't ready yet to go to the new no. frontiers. And so, but that doesn't mean that you're not the same person doing the hard and deep work. And I just, I think that there's a lot of people in the deconstruction movement right now who are doing that. And it's not, like you said, it's not respected yet. And it's not right. embraced yet, except we are all here misfits with each other. And we're like, I see what you're doing. I see you. Well, <laughs> it corrects here, me. But, it corrects yeah. me up because it's like, oh, it's all the worship leaders and the ex-pastors and the right. people who went to seminary. Right. And the, it's, it's uh, like, does, yes. it doesn't surprise me. And probably crazily why it's taken off so much is because it is a bunch of leaders. Yeah. It is a bunch yeah. of dive, deep, deep divers. And, yeah. and I love what Sarah Bessie says. It's an evolving faith. This is what we were supposed to be doing all along. We're not supposed to stay put. Nobody wants to stay put. That's not what this is all about. We're supposed to be going deeper. We're supposed to be figuring it out. And so, oh, yeah. well. <laughs> yeah. But it's so, I mean, it just stings. cracks me up. Like when I met you, I'm like, of course she was a leader. No. Of course she was a worship leader. <laughs> of course she went to seminary. Of, yeah. you know, it's like, it's not like, oh, I'm so surprised. It's like, yeah. that makes so much sense because it, it was so my sense. whole life it was my whole life. god was the most important thing and so if you're gonna take it seriously and look serious you you can't turn blind eyes you know but it's just a fascinating phenomenon how people i i don't want to say that people who are still in the system are not taking it seriously because clearly they take it very seriously but i just yes. wish that they would take a minute to say you know to look and, and 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 think if i respected that person once if i really thought they had insight and faith once maybe this is the natural extension of that maybe it's not a wayward thing maybe it's a true progression and i liked how you talked about evolving so but but of course evolving is a trigger word yeah <laughs> exactly. christian community right so gotta be careful of that it, but, it's yeah. so funny when you go back to like that person you know might mention a quote i have in a book at some point yeah, um, <laughs> i i literally said to a friend of mine because i was you know kind of a little upset. And I said, you yeah. know what, when their world falls apart, I want to be a safe place for that person to land mm. when all of their formulas fall apart because I would have been her. Yeah. 10 years, 15, 20 yeah. years ago. And I needed people to be a safe place for me when I started to question. And I want to be a safe place for the people who quite aren't quite there yet. Yeah. And like, I think back on um, how long I tried to live and, and maybe perhaps people are doing it like for a place of love and acceptance, you know, mm -hmm. like by like for belonging, for fitting in, like to church, to like 
the perfect being the perfect Christian, uh, being the perfect leader in church, all that stuff to what society said was a good wife and mother, even like silly things like my family of origin, man, that's a hard one, right? Like, I just want to fit in. I just want to belong. But I'm doing, I'm living for that place, right? Like outside in instead of like from that place. Yeah. Like, and that, that living for that place, everybody finds in the end of the day, it is going to like be a stranglehold around your neck. And it is going Mm -hmm. to lead to like feeling like you're a slave to this system if you pay attention and like what I think I'm discovering now and hope like that all the people like you said that aren't ready to hear whatever I hope at some point that they can begin and I'm learning this myself where I'm living from the place right I'm living inside out like from the place of love and acceptance where I already belong yeah you know and then that's not slavery that's like freedom yeah. And that's like a herky-jerky path, right? We're all doing this like very slow dance and steps toward, you know, being really, truly free. Yeah. And then hopefully it does lead us back to God and ourselves, you know? And like I said, mm-hmm. we're that all intertwines in a big mixed up mess. <laughs> sacred. Yes, a sacred. Oh man, Esther, I love that. I love that. There's so much, man, there's just so much wisdom in what you've said. Truly, uh, I'm thinking of the, all the sound bites I can, or like all the clips I can pull for quotes. I'm like, there's so many, <laughs> <You're> <laughs> there's so, so many. <laughs> so it's so good. You're well, cute. as we as we finish up, um, can you uh, tell our listeners where they can find you, and could you tell us um, some of your books and some of your material that's available? Because I don't think I realized you know, that you were, you have a life outside of deconstructed mamas. I think I knew, but I'm like, oh, she actually does a lot. So could you, yeah, tell Uh, us where to find you. Yeah. So it's, it all is stemmed from this. Um, I say it stems from this, giving myself and others the roots of unconditional love and the wings of freedom to be completely themselves. Mm -hmm. So that's like a little, that's like kind of my big overarching life's mantra. So it kind of goes into the, these three places. And I have three projects. Our podcast that you've been on, which we love, Deconstructing Mamas. I co-host that with Liz Enns Petters. We have a website. Liz is the daughter of Pete Enns, mm-hmm. who uh, a lot of people know. Uh, he's written a bunch of stuff. Um, and we have social media pages, um, Deconstructing Mamas. And you can listen to our podcast and especially your episode, Liz, (laughs) on any platform. So that's that. That's my that's one of my projects. And then the other two projects you can kind of find on my website. And it's just estherjoygetz.com. And I have two. You alluded to one, Esther the Dolly Mama. And that's kind of where I unpack this like ever evolving human journey, I call it. And it's geared more towards spiritual direction and what I kind of call soul growth. Um, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram there as well. And I have a newsletter that comes out on Sundays and that, um, I write, I I have something really in the works coming out called wit, wisdom, and whimsy, I hope. Um, and it's going to be like a weird, uh, monthly devotional, like in this new kind of space. I don't even like the word devotional. I don't know what else to call it. It's like so weird. Um, so that's my, in the, my former, you know, I was all about devotional. So like, Oh my gosh, I'm very interested. I mean, we, we, that's why somebody was like, wit, wisdom and whimsy. That's what you need. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Inspiration. I, I whatever that's kind of in the works. Um, okay. but that really is really helping people to discover who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, spiritually, that's very spiritual directiony driven, um, and then I'm packing all my own crap. Like yesterday I did like what happens when I'm cranky. I mean, all the way to when you feel left out because you don't have the same beliefs you used to. It's just yeah. being a human, what it means to be an, a human in this beautiful world. And then I have this weird project. It's probably my largest project that probably where I make my most money. That's okay. kind of a weird saying. <laughs> and it's because I, I, it's called Moms of Bigs and I, and You said I'm an anomaly in this space, and it is true, Um, but I have a real heart uh, for moms whose kids are in transition from childhood to adulthood, so moms moms of teens and young adults. That's where my kids land, Um, and again, the same idea of like how were we told to raise our kids versus how should we be approaching them 
um, with mm. you know some more conscious and nuanced um, ideas of of parenting. Um, and so I, I love to come alongside moms there. Um, I have a Facebook and Instagram there. I actually have a book that's being published right now. Um, it's just uh, a, a lot of my essays on that front. That's going to be available hopefully before Christmas. Nice. And yeah, I have a newsletter for moms of bigs also. So I do have a few projects, but they all do. St- they, I know, but as I thought though about this, this, but I also don't have two, three kids under five. Sorry. Well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you have had a bunch of kids. So I did. So can... I have a lot of material. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> A lot to but yeah, it all stems from where I am, though. We, we do all the things in our lives based on what we believe and what our core values are. And so any project that I would ever do would be based in these core, this core value of returning to self, being unconditionally loved, and then allowing you know us and others to have the freedom to really to find ourselves and to be true to ourselves and to be ourselves and then to give ourselves as a gift yeah oh that's so beautiful well thank you esther so much for coming on today this was really a pleasure i really enjoyed this If this episode was meaningful to you, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash deconstructing the myth so that episodes like today's keep coming.